Thanks for tuning in today. You're listening to the official podcast of First Alliance Church in Great Falls, Montana, creating passionate followers of Christ. Today's message is from lead pastor John Reese. Today we come to the final petition in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There was a Christian men's retreat once where they were starting to get really, really honest with each other. And they began to admit things that they hadn't admitted before. And one man said, my biggest temptation is lust. I'm really embarrassed about it. Next man talked about his gambling addiction, and it was underground. Nobody really knew about it, so he said he would sneak off to casinos. And the third man chiped in and said, I have trouble with alcohol. I am often drink more than I should. And the last guy said, guys, I hate to tell you this, but my greatest temptation is gossip. (laughs) And if you'll excuse me for a moment, I have a few new posts I want to make on social media. But, you know, what, what is temptation for you? What, what is the thing that trips you up and causes you to fall? It can be all kinds of things. It can be even our perspective of God. Satan can plant in our mind doubts about God. Today we're going to be looking at the final petition of the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But just to recap where we've been, uh, the Lord's Prayer is broken into two parts. The first part is directed toward God. We pray that his name would be reverenced in our world, that he would receive the honor and respect that he is due, and then we prayed for his kingdom to come, and the kingdom is a territory ruled over by a king, and we're talking about our submission to his reign, and we're praying that he would reign over us and our world, and then we talk about his will versus our will. We want his will to be done. Most of us want our will to be done, and we want God to endorse it, but We're praying that his will will be done because we know that if it is, we will experience heaven on earth. (laughs) The second part of the Lord's Prayer then is focuses on our needs. And as Kevin DeYoung points out, the three needs that mankind has are provision, pardon, and protection. We have stomachs that need to be filled, we have sins that need to be forgiven, and we have to fight against evil. And he says, if you know, if you look carefully at these three, you see a Trinitarian structure here. You see the roles of all three members of the Trinity. First, the Father, the Creator, is the one who provides our daily bread. And secondly, the Son of God is the one who has granted us forgiveness for sins. And thirdly, We are given the spirit to lead us and fill us and empower us to live a holy life in an unholy world. And and when I look at these and I see these as the three categories that Christ singled out that were important to pray about, I notice that two-thirds of them, two of the three, have to do with our sin. And and to me, that says something about how significant sin is to God. Jesus, having taught his disciples how to deal with their past sins in the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, forgive our debts or sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Now in the sixth petition, 
turns his focus from the past to the future and addresses our vulnerabilities and the possibility of falling into sin because of temptation. You know, by teaching his followers to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, Jesus shows us that we are to ask the Father to protect us against the temptations and spiritual attacks that can lead us to sin. This morning, I want to focus on the two aspects in this sixth petition by looking at the two verbs which are talking about leading us not and delivering us from. And so we're going to look at those two things this morning. First, we pray that God help us avoid temptation. Lead us around it. <laughs> Lead us not into temptation. You know, we often fail to understand how prevalent temptation can be. How often we're going to be confronted with it, how quickly we'll be exposed to it, and how easily we'll be drawn into sin. Al Moyer, in his book on the Lord's Prayer, shared about when he was young, how he loved to go camping and as a 12-year-old boy, he said camping trips had all kinds of thrilling aspects for us, among them the fact that you could spend an entire day without being chaperoned by your mom. And he says, I vividly remember how my dad would get me ready for the camping trips. He would pack Vienna sausages and baked beans and oatmeal cookies, the ideal diet for a 12-year-old boy. And then... We were kind of just released into the wild, <laughs> you know. Uh, for young boys, that's heaven on earth. And he talked about one of his church's camping trips where their church, it was one of the church scouting trips. And he says, I remember being with my friends and we just played all day in these abandoned fields and there were bushes there and we would climb under the bushes and hide under the bushes. We just had a really wonderful day that day. He says, we, we played hard until we were exhausted. Then we crawled in our tents and fell asleep. And he says, the next morning, we were awakened by three gunshots. And he says, racing out of our tents, we found one of the men who had come with us from our church draping three enormous diamondback rattlesnakes across the front of his Jeep. <laughs> he said, when we asked him where he shot them, he pointed to the bushes that we had been playing in the day before. Think of that picture. The day before, these boys were enjoying the moment, playing in the bushes, completely unaware of the danger that was so nearby. Maybe you have had moments in that life, in your life like that. Maybe times when, when you got really close to something and later you realized how dangerous that situation was and you didn't even realize it. It might have been just a very pleasant day <laughs> for you. We had a day like that. When I was in seminary near New York City, one night Doris and I went into the Radio City Music Halls uh, for the Christmas pageant. And it was really a delightful evening. The program was spectacular. The weather was ideal. The city was filled with Christmas lights. It was a perfect night. And then that night when we got back to our dormitory, we turned on the news and saw how at the very subway station we had just been at, just minutes from the time we were there, a person was robbed and murdered at that very station. 
and all of a sudden it hits you. You never know what you're going to encounter, even on a very pleasant day like that. There's a lot more going on around us than what we're aware of. And we like to think of our world as a safe place, but it's not a safe place. It's a dangerous place, especially for the children of God who have an enemy prowling, trying to bring them down. We like to imagine that evil's far from us, but as the headlines reveal, evil's always lurking near. And the Bible teaches us that Satan's real and that our enemy has bent on destroying our spiritual lives, and yet many Christians rarely ever think about this. Regrettably, many Christians blissfully are blissfully complacent in matters of spiritual warfare. They don't, we don't think in terms of spiritual warfare, but we're in it all the time. Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, once observed that the church of his generation was a place where most people would sit in church and listen with their hands folded over their stomachs and their eyes half closed, staring blankly upward. <laughs> That's a picture of what he just described. He says, rather than celebrating their redemption from the domain, domain of darkness and the fact that they are now living in the light of this truth, they are indifferent to the fight that they are in. And, and Jesus' final petition, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, reminds us that we are in a daily fight against evil. You know, living the, the Christian life is not a Sunday afternoon picnic. <laughs> there are threats all around us. You know, every day we're kind of walking through a minefield of temptations. Things that if we're not careful will trip us up and, and harm our lives. And, and God wants us to stand strong in the face of temptation. He wants us to avoid temptations where possible. Avoid things that could cause you to stumble. That's why we pray, lead us not into temptation. By praying this, we're asking God to help us avoid these things. Some people think that the best way to do this is to live in isolation. <laughs> to put a wall around yourself. You know, today, maybe better than a decade ago, we understand what it means to keep a safe distance from sources of danger. During the COVID epidemic, the social isolation and the, all the protective gear that we were forced to wear was, quote, for the purpose of protecting us from contamination. <laughs> and the logic was simple. You know, if you, if you don't get close to the virus, it can't affect you. And during this time, people lived in fear. They were instructed to stay home. They, at all costs, they were to avoid other people. And, and the cost of the pause in life was considerable. The loss of education and socialization of our children, the disruption of our families. We were told not to have family gatherings, even for the holidays. And I heard of more than one person dying alone in the hospital without their loved ones around them because we weren't allowed to be with the people who were suffering. And then there was the impact on our businesses and not to mention the global economy. And in the end, many felt that the isolation did more damage than the virus did. <laughs> and eventually everybody got COVID anyway, it seemed like. 
And my, my purpose in sharing this isn't to make a statement about COVID isolation, though, you know, I probably already have, but uh, my purpose in sharing this is that many have suggested that's what we're supposed to do in the face of contemptation. We're to, to withdraw from the world, be, live in isolation, to build walls around ourselves, to keep any contamination out, and we live in fear, and we cut ourselves off from anything that we think might contaminate us. It's suggested that we should be in seclusion, cut off from the influence of the world, that we should live in isolation so we don't get affected. And some people think that's what it means to protect ourselves from evil. That we should, so to speak, live in monasteries where we won't encounter evil. And there's some wisdom in that. After all, we're told, avoid places where you're, you're likely going to be tempted. But, but there, there's two problems with that as I see it. The first is that the dynamic of distancing ourselves from evil results in disengagement. You know, members of an isolated community might have tight relationships with one another, but what they, the people they have relationships with is limited to their own community. And I don't see anywhere in Scripture where the church is told that it is to disengage from the world. Our mission is the world. And in John 17, when Jesus prayed for his disciples, he prayed, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. If our whole purpose was to be protected from the world, then God would have should take us to heaven as soon as we become Christians. But he left us in the world. He says, my, my prayer isn't, isn't that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. In other words, we aren't to live for the world and be servants of the world, but... He says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. As disciples of Christ, we're called to live in the world, to minister to the world. We are not to be of the world, but we are, the world is our mission field. And we're called to spread the love of Christ to everyone around us. And, and we can't do that if we disengage from the world. Jesus' purpose in coming to earth was to minister to us. And he commissioned his disciples to do the same thing, to go into the ghetto of the world and reach people for Christ. But a second problem with isolation is, and this is one we don't appreciate enough, is that the strategy of avoiding a threat can work only if the threat is clearly identifiable and has distinct boundaries. Just because we are clear from temptations in one context doesn't mean we're in a temptation-free zone. <laughs> the Bible tells us that the problem with sin is that the temptation to sin comes not only from external factors, but it also comes from within us. There, there's something in our hearts that draws us to sin. And us isolating ourselves from external influences doesn't change the problem in us. In other words, we take ourselves, our primary source of temptation, into isolation with us. 
I vaguely remember, and I just thought about it a few moments ago, but a book by Edgar Allan Poe, and it was, uh, I forget which one it was, but it was a book where there was a virus being spread throughout an area, and these wealthy people built this compound and cut themselves off from the people around them, and they lived in isolation, and they could afford it, so they, they lived selfishly and within this compound, separated from the people with the, the virus. But then somebody in the compound had the virus, and they were all locked in together, and they were exposed to it, and they couldn't get away from it. And, and that's what a picture for me of what sometimes this isolation, this protectionism that we kind of, you know, focus on does to us. And we, we lock ourselves away, but we still have a heart problem. There's still, we still have a lustful heart. We still have a prideful heart. We still have a greedy heart. We still have a selfish heart. In fact, many of those things flourish in those environments. James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? There's something within you causing your, the problems in your life. You, you want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet. You can't have, have what you want, and you quarrel and fight. And he goes on just talking about these inward drives that are causing these problems for us. And, and just living in isolation doesn't free us from those things. I'm, I'm not sure that's what was meant when it says don't lead us into temptation that just meant that we should isolate from the world. We live in a sinful world and when we pray lead us not into temptation it's, like, it's unlikely that it means that we were, we were going to be put in a place where we'll never be tempted again. We're tempted every day. As long as we're in this fallen world we're going to be tempted. And the Bible teaches us that God's not the source of temptation James tells us when we're tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for no one can be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted by his own evil desire when he's dragged away and enticed. And yet, even though God doesn't tempt us, sometimes he leads us into places where we will be tempted. Sometimes, in his mercy, God will answer this prayer prayer by keeping us from being tempted in a certain area at all, but more often he allows us to be tempted and lead us not into temptation it has to mean something more than just that we're going to avoid temptation at all costs. What we're, we're really asking is God help us to avoid as much temptation as possible, but when we're tempted, give us the strength not to fall. And by praying this way, we acknowledge First of all, our weakness and the strength of our enemy. We admit that we are, how likely we are to fall into sin and we beg God not to allow us to do so and to keep us from being tempted beyond what we can bear. And we pray that God's not going to abandon us but send the help of the Spirit and we trust him to be faithful to his promises. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way so that you can stand up under it. In the prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There's a, a conjunction there, the word but, and the but ties the two sides together and contrasts them. 
not only are we asking him to help us avoid temptation, but we're also asking him to rescue us <laughs> when temptation comes. But if we fall into temptation, we need deliverance. So we are to pray, God, not only lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. <laughs> to deliver is to bring someone out of something. If we're not led around evil, but find ourselves in the midst of evil, then we need deliverance from it. And we pray for deliverance when we're already in trouble. We're asking God to rescue us from the stairs of Satan. Spurgeon once said, Satan is like a skilled fisherman who watches his fish, adapts his bait to his prey, and knows in what seasons the fish are most likely to bite. He studies us. He, he, he knows us. He knows the lures we're vulnerable to. He knows our weaknesses, and he's going to entice us in those areas. He might entice me in a different area than he entices you, but he knows both of us, and he knows where we're likely to fall. And um, God doesn't always prevent us from being tempted. And lots of times when we're tempted, we do fall. The biblical characters, you can see it over and over again, how vulnerable they were to temptation, how often they fell in areas of temptation. Philip Ryken points out that like Eve ate the forbidden fruit, we are vulnerable to temptation when we act on our own. And like Abraham lied about his wife to protect himself, we are vulnerable to temptation when we're afraid. And like David slept with Bathsheba while his men were off at war, we're vulnerable to temptation when we're idle or living an indulgent lifestyle. And like Elijah wanted God to end his life, we're vulnerable to temptation when we're exhausted or discouraged. And like Peter denied his Lord after he vowed he would die for him, we're vulnerable to temptation when we're overconfident. And our weaknesses explain why so many of us experience so many of our experiences with temptation lead to failure. But if we pray, God can keep us from falling under the power of temptation if we continue to look to him for help. We're praying that when we face evil, as we will, we should look to God and he'll help us. We're praying that we're praying for his help, his assistance. This sixth petition then is a request for spiritual protection. And God might not always keep us from experiencing temptation's pool in our life, but if we call out to him for help, he will keep us from being pulled in by sin. Finally then, how do we avoid temptation? There's so many ways, but J.I. Packer summed it up with two things, and I, I really like these two. I'm just going to focus on those. He says, we must watch and we must pray. He takes it from the time of temptation in the garden when Jesus was facing the cross in just a few moments. His disciples were weary. They were going to fall in just a few moments. They didn't know it. This, this, the rattlesnake was right next to them and they, they were oblivious to its presence. 
Jesus knew what was coming, and he told his disciples, watch and pray so you you will not fall into temptation. He says, the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. First, we have to watch. And Packer says, watch, to think of watching, think of a soldier standing on guard, alert for the first signs of an enemy. In other words, Having a prepared mind is part of what helps us to withstand temptation. He says we watch against temptation by noticing what situation, company, and influences expose us to it and avoiding them whenever we can. As Luther said, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you don't have to let them build a nest in your hair. And so find out what's fire for you and don't play with it. But he says, secondly... And this is what Jesus is emphasizing in this prayer is that we must pray. Pray, Packer says, points to the kind of prayer that Jesus made in the garden, prayer for strength to do what one knows is right in the face of inward reluctance plus any siren songs seeking to charm one off course and spiritually into the rocks. You know, to have a spirit of prayer takes humility. We're not going to pray if we don't see a threat as real. If we're overconfident, we're not going to be take seriously praying. When I when I start a day in the morning, I'm very conscious of the fact that that day I'm going to fail in many ways if I don't look to God for help. We pray because we know without God's help. We're going to give in to temptation. Kevin DeYoung says this. He says, think of what we are expressing to God when we make this simple request. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. First of all, he says, we're making known our hatred for sin and confessing our weakness to overcome it. You're not going to pray if you don't hate sin. (laughs) You're not going to pray if you don't face the fact that you're weak and will fall without God's help. Secondly, he says, we're counting on God to never leave us or forsake us. And we, we can constantly look to God for help as, as we walk through the minefield of life. He says, we're trusting in the power of the Spirit to, to be our strength and our shield. He, Jesus, he says, Jesus does not instruct us to pray for more willpower to do the right thing, even if our wills must always be engaged in the fight against sin. He says, our prayer is not for courage to fight, but for our Heavenly Father to be a refuge, a rock, and our rescue. Charles Spurgeon uh, told, a, I think it was a true story about a man who was given grace to withstand temptation in his time of need. The, the story came from the days of the English Reformation. He says that history records the fate of two men who were condemned to die in the days of Queen Anne's persecution of the Christians, the time when she was burning believers at the stake. One of the prisoners waiting his fate in prison boasted to his fellow prisoners that he was going to stand strong when he faced the flame. And he said that he could endure suffering because his life had been grounded in the gospel and that Christ would not deny him. One of his companions in that same prison, as Spurgeon puts it, was a poor trembling soul. 
He told the others that he was very afraid of the fire. He said he feared that when he began to burn, that he, the pain might cause him to renounce his faith. And he begged his friends to pray for him and to pray with him. And he spent his time in weeping over his weakness and crying out to God for strength. When the day came for them to be executed, they both stood before the executioner. And the man who had been bold when he saw the flames recanted at the sight of the fire and was set free to live an apostate's life. Well, the man who had been so afraid and had prayed for help not to fall stood firm like a rock, praising and magnifying God as he was burned alive. And Spurgeon says, it was the man who knew his own frailty who glorified God. He knew that he was weak and that his enemy was strong and that only God could save him. So he prayed, lead me not into temptation. And God answered his prayer. To summarize what I've said this morning, in the Lord's Prayer, we not only pray for God to prevent us from being tempted, which won't always happen, but also that he would help us when we are tempted. And the Westminster Shorter Catechism puts these two thoughts together when it says that in the sixth petition, we pray that God would either keep us from being tempted to sin or support and deliver us when we are tempted. That's what we pray in this sixth petition. Let's pray. God, sometimes you allow us to be tempted. As disciples, we should pray to be delivered from these trying times and for deliverance from Satan, the evil one, and his deceit. All Christians struggle with temptations. Sometimes it's so subtle we don't even realize what's happening to us. But Lord, what a promise it is that you tell us that we won't be in a place where if we're not looking, if we're looking to you, that we have to be tempted beyond what we can bear because you will always give us the strength to stand up under it if, you, if we look to you for help. When we see you, life works. I worry because I forget your wisdom. I resent because I forget your mercy. I covet because I forget your beauty. I sin because I forget your holiness. I fear because I forget your sovereignty. You always remember me. Help me to remember you. Amen. We hope you are blessed by the message today. Follow us on social media to keep up to date with church news and events.